Shalom to all. Today's office again, Dafnun Aleph. We are starting Nun Amad Bey's, the bottom line with the words, Yibayalahu. And today's office sponsor, Lili Nishmas, Mars Miriam Sarabas, Yaakov Maisha, her Neshama Shadavan Aliyah, and Lili Nishmas, Rabbi Yasef Yantif, but Rabbi Anshul, his Neshama Shadavan Aliyah. So we were right in the middle of a sugya. The Mishnah had taught that if a Ghanav stole a field from Ruvain and sold it to Shimon, who then planted and planted it, and then after the crop grew, Ruvain came to take his field from Shimon, he only has to pay Shimon for the money invested into cultivating the field, and he doesn't have to pay for the payrolls that are currently located on the field. Now, when Shimon goes back to the Ghanav to collect, so he's allowed to collect the cost of the field from Nechassim Meshubadim, meaning from other properties that the Ghanav had subsequently sold, but the value of the fruits he lost are only going to be collected from B'nai Chayrin. And the Gemara provides two different reasons for this. Ula said B'Shem Reish that's Mishum She'enim Ksuven, because in the Shtar Mechir between the Ghanav and Shimon, which include an insurance policy that if the land is taken away, the Ghanav would reimburse Shimon, these fruits that would eventually grow were never included. Therefore, even though Shimon does get reimbursed for them, he can only collect from B'nai Chayrin. Whereas Reb Chanina had said, Mishum there isn't a set amount of fruits that we know are going to grow on this land to say that God takes responsibility for those, that they could be collected from a Shubadim, and that's why they have to be collected from an Echairin. Now, let's just explain this with a bit more detail. This guarantee that was written in the Shtar, again, that if the land is taken away, Shimon's going to be reimbursed, is like a Milva Bishtar. In other words, it's as if the Ghanav is borrowing money from Shimon and it's written in a Shtar, thereby requiring the Ghanav to pay from a Chasm Shubadim. However, the Paris, which the Ghanav would have to be reimbursed Shimon for, are only considered a Milva Al and therefore they're only allowed to be collected from an Echairin. So I think Mar says, Yibailu, they asked the final question. When we say that a Baal or Shimon for that matter, is a lot of collect from Nechassim Meshubadim, does it have to be that the money that Shimon's owed is not only a set amount, but also that has to be written in a shtar? Maybe he's a lot of collect from Nechassim Meshubadim as long as we're talking about a set amount, even if it's not written in a shtar. Meaning, according to the second understanding, Reb Chanina would hold that one would be allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim even if we're dealing with a mil as long as the thing or the amount being discussed is a set amount. So the Gemara Tamsaraya Tashma, the Itmar was stated, Mishames, if a fellow died, Uben, and he left two daughters over and a son. Now, in this scenario, all the property goes to the son. He's the only one that inherits the father. However, the daughters are allowed to collect 10% of that for a dowry when they get married. So what happens? The first one went along and collected 10% for getting married. But the second one didn't get a chance to collect her 10%, and then the son died, and now all the properties are falling to these two daughters to be split as the Yerusha. So Rabbi Yechon, Rabbi Yechon says, Shniya Vetra, the second one has given up on this 10%. The whole reason why the Chum said that she's allowed to take 10% in order to get married is so that she should be able to come into the marriage with a dowry. Over here, now that she's Yarshining her brother slash her father and she's receiving a full 50% of the Nechassim, so she's now allowed to first take her 10% and then split the Nechassim with her sister 50-50. She loses out on that 10% and she just takes 50% of whatever Nechassim are here. Now for Amr Rabchanina, Rabchanina told Rabbi Yechonon, how could you say that? Gedaylem Mizu Amru. The Chum said even something which was a greater Chedesh. What do they say? Let's say we have this case and the son didn't die and she's going to be collecting this 10% for her dowry. She's allowed to be mighty from Lekuchais. Let's say the son had sold some properties to Lekuchais. She's allowed to take from those Lekuchais for her Parnasa for her 10%, but she's not allowed to take from those Lekuchais for her Mizainais for her food. Whereas you, Rabbi Yechen, are saying that in the case where the son died, the second daughter has given up on her 10%, meaning she loses the right to it. In other words, when she has to take from Lekuchais, which is not a simple matter, we nonetheless say that she's allowed to in order to collect her 10%. So of course when her brother dies and now the Yerusha is being split, she should first get her 10% and then the split takes place. Now what do we see from here? This concept that she gets 10% for Parnasa for getting married, the make it's kaitza, that's a set amount, and mechtav leksiva, that's not written in any shtar, and we see that she's able to take from Nechassim Meshubadim. So we clearly see that Reb Chanina holds that one is allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim, even though it's a milva alpeh, as long as it's a set amount. 
The Gemara says it's not a raya. Shani parnasa. Parnasa is different. Kivin the isla kala. Since there's a kal, meaning the moment that the father dies, everyone knows that a daughter is going to be able to collect this 10%. That's a kal. Everyone knows this. Kamad dami. It's as if it's written in a star. Now the Gemara is going to ask a question on our other shita, meaning on Ula's understanding. Master of Hunabar Manoich, of Hunabar Manoich asks the following question. Now the following refers to this case. A man marries a woman and promises to support her and her daughter for five years. And then he divorces her within the five years. And another person marries her with the same promise of support for five years. So both of these husbands have to provide support. Now let's say both of these husbands die, their other daughters get fed only from Bnei Chayrin, but this stepdaughter gets from a Shubadim, because she's like a regular Balchayv who's owed money. Now we read that, Mesu, if these husbands die, Bnei Sein, Nizanis, Menachas, Bnei Chayrin, their daughters get food only from Menachas, Bnei Chayrin, Vihi, but this stepdaughter, Nizanis, Menachas, Meshubadim, she gets from Menachas, Meshubadim, Bnei Sheik, Abalaz because she's like a Abalaz Chayv. So this is clearly a question on Ula, because this is not written in a star anywhere, and still we see she's able to collect from Menachas, Meshubadim. So Gemara says, no, Hachamai Skinon, what are we talking about over here? That they made a Kenyan from him, meaning when the husband married this woman and she brought along her daughter and he said, I'm going to support you for five years, a real Kenyan was made being Mechaev him in this payment, so it's like it's written down in Ishtar, and that's why she'd be allowed to collect from Meshubadim. Ask the Gemara Yachi, if that's so, Banois Nami. His daughters as well should be allowed to collect from Meshubadim because he owes them support as much as he owes his stepdaughter support. So Gemara says, no, a Kenyan was made only for his stepdaughter, but not for his regular daughters. The Gemara asks, my Pasca, what are we saying an all-across-the-board rule that this is how it happens in every situation that when a man gets married to a woman who brings a daughter into the marriage and he says that he's going to give her Mazinus for five years, he only makes a Kenyan for that stepdaughter that's coming in, but he doesn't make a Kenyan in regards to supporting his own daughters? So my answer is, you're right. A Kenyan could be made for both of them. However, only his stepdaughter would be allowed to collect from Meshubatim. Why is that? Because Basishtai, his stepdaughter, the Havai Bashas Kenyan, she was there when the Kenyan was made. She was brought into the marriage. Mahani Kenyan. So the Kenyan helps for her to allow her to collect from a Shubadim. But Bitai, his own daughter that was born later, she wasn't there at the time the Kenyan was made. So a Kenyan doesn't help for her and she's not allowed to collect from a Shubadim. Ask the Gemara, how could you say that? Can't we be talking about the following case? We're both daughters, meaning his stepdaughter and his biological daughter were both there at the time of the Kenyan. How would that be? He divorced his wife with his daughter of his and then he remarried her and at the time that he remarried her, that's when he made the Kenyan, and he already had a biological daughter at that time. So both his biological and his stepdaughter were around at the time of the Kenyan. So why should his stepdaughter be allowed to collect from a Shubadim and not his biological one? So Gemara answers differently. His daughter, that the reason why she's allowed to get Mazinus after her father dies is because of a Tanai Bezdin. This is just a stipulation by Bezdin, and he doesn't have to take it upon himself. A Kenyan's not going to help to allow her to collect from a Shubadim. Because anyway, even if the father didn't take upon himself that he's going to support her, he has to support her. But Bas Ishtai, his stepdaughter, she doesn't get supported because of a Tanai Bezdin. He has to accept it upon himself voluntarily when he marries his girl's mother that he's going to support her. So Mahani Kenyan, making a Kenyan at that point in time does help and that enables the stepdaughter to collect from a Shubadim. Ask the Gemara of Migragara, are you telling me that his biological daughter is worse off than his stepdaughter? If anything, it's the other way around. As we had just said, his stepdaughter only gets Mazinus if he voluntarily accepts it upon himself, whereas his biological daughter automatically gets Mazinus is given to her. So how could we say that his biological daughter is worse off? So the Gemara provides his final answer. His daughter, since the reason why she's getting her mezainus is because of this Tanai Bezdin, I might say that Sari Asfasa, he gave her a bundle. What does it mean he gave her a bundle? The father gave his daughter a bundle of money before he died in order for her to use it as mezainus. So since that's a possibility, she wouldn't be allowed to collect from a Shubadim because it could be she already has money for her mezainus. But when we're dealing with a stepdaughter who's not getting fed because of a Tanai Bezdin, we don't have to suspect that the 
stepfather gave his stepdaughter a bundle of money, and that's why when the stepfather dies, the stepdaughter is allowed to take from Nechassim Meshubadim. Now the Gemara attempts to bring a raya to our Ganev case. Again, the Ganev had stole a field from Reuven and sold it to Shimon, and then Reuven takes the field back from Shimon. Now when Shimon's going back to the Ganev to get his money back, we said that when he's collecting pay rise, he's only allowed to take that from Nechassim Bnei Chayren and not Nechassim Meshubadim. So Tashma, Amrav Nasan, Amrav says, Amasai, when is this that we say that Shimon is only allowed to collect for the pay rise from the Ganev? If he has Nechassim Bnei Chayren, that's Bizman Shekada only at the time when the second buyer bought land from the Ganev before the first buyer, meaning before Shimon, improved the field. Because since Shimon hadn't improved the field before this other buyer had bought another land from this Ganev, so we can't say that that land of the Ganev was Meshubed to the pay rise that Shimon had, because Shimon didn't have pay rise yet. However, if the first one, meaning Shimon, had improved the land and pay rise grew on the land before the second guy bought land from the Ganev, so Gavim Nechassim Meshubadim, Shimon would be allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim because when that fellow bought property from the Ganev, Shimon had already improved the land that he had bought from the Ganev, so therefore, the land that the Ganev sold to the second buyer is Meshubad to pay for Shimon's pay rise. Now, Amma, what do we see from here? That the only reason why Shimon would not be allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim is simply because his improvement of the land didn't come before the second guy bought land from the Ganev. But if it did come before, he would be allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim even though it's considered Milval Peh. So this is clearly the raya for Abchanina. Now the Gemara tells us Tanaihi, it's actually Machlekas Tanaim, meaning this Machlekas Ul and Rishlakesh on one side and Rabchanina on the other side is really Machlekas Tanaim. The Tanya we have a Brisa, Emaitzin Lachilas Peres Lashem Chakais Lomazan Ishev Habanais Menachasim Shubadim. The reason why we're not allowed to take from Nechasim Shubadim for fruit that was eaten, which is the case that we're talking about, or for the improvement of the land, or food for the mother and the daughter, is Mipnei Tikkun Oilam because of Tikkun Oilam Lefishen Ksuven because they're not written down in the Shtar. So that's the Tanakama's opinion. Whereas on Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael says Mechima Tikkun Oilam Yesh Bazu. What type of Tikkun Oilam are we talking about over here? Bahaloi in Ketsuven. It's just simply because there isn't a set amount that we're dealing with over here. For example, the first case, the pay rice, we don't know how many pairs are going to grow on this land that Shimon bought from the Ganev. So that's why Shimon can't collect from the Chasim Shubadim. We clearly see the Machlaikas, Tanakama, and Rabbi Yaisi is the same Machlaikas, Ula Reish Lakish on one side and Rabbi Hanin on the other side. Does it have to do with it being written in a Shtar? That's Tanakama. Or does it have to do with the fact that it's not a set amount? That's Rabbi Yaisi. And we can explain the Mishnah of Amaytimitzia, someone who finds a lost object and he's returning it, he does not have to swear. Now, what's this referring to? So we know that Maitim Mixas Hataina Yishava. If someone admits to part of a claim, he has to swear regarding the part that he's not admitting to. So let's say Reuben tells Shimon, you owe me $100. And Shimon claims, I only owe you 50. Shimon has to swear regarding that other 50. And the Gemara in Ahmed Beis explains why. So our Mishnah's teaching, let's say Shimon comes to return Reuven's lost object. And Shimon says, hey, there were two of them. Although technically, Shimon would have to make a Shavuah Maitim Mixas, he doesn't have to, because then people are just going to refrain from returning lost objects if they have to make these Shavuahs. So now the Gemara tells us, Amr says, Shimon comes to return Reuven's wallet. And Reuven says, what do you mean? There were two purses tied together, not just one. And Shimon says, I only found one purse. Nishba, he would have to swear. And that's because Ruvain's taina is a vadai taina. It's a 100% taina. And so it's like Shimon over here is being maide mixas, so he'd have to make a shvua. However, let's say Shimon is coming to return Ruvain's ox. And then Ruvain says, You found two of my oxen tied together, not just one. And Shimon says, There's only one ox. He does not have to swear. And my taima, why is that? Because Shvarim, 
oxen that are tied together are going to pull apart from each other, and it's very possible that Shimon actually only found one ox, and therefore Ruvain's taina is not a definite taina, it's not a bari taina, so Shimon wouldn't be considered to be Mardimiktas. However, Kisin, Lemon Askimadadi, wallets don't just separate from each other on their own, and therefore Ruvain's taina is a vadai taina, and that's why Shimon would have to make a shvua Mardimiktas. However, let's say Ruvain tells Shimon, you found two oxen tied together, and Shimon says, Matsasi, you're right, I did find two oxen, I already returned one of them to you. Hareza Nishba, in this case, he would have to swear because he's admitting on his own that there were two oxen together. So that's a shvuah by the mixes that he'd have to make. But now the Gemara asks, Rav Yitzchak Lassay Hamayt Mitzia Lo Yishavam Tnei Tikkun Oylam. Doesn't Rav Yitzchak hold of our Mishnah that if a person finds Mitzia, he wouldn't have to make a shvuah because of Tikkun Oylam? It seems like Rav Yitzchak's arguing with our Mishnah. So Gemara Nun Alpha and on top says, "You're right. Who the Amar Kabbalah Zav Niyakov? He holds a Kabbalah Zav Niyakov that argues with our Mishnah. The Tanya of a Brayz Kabbalah Zav Niyakov. I'm Kabbalah Zav Niyakov says, 'Pa'avim Shadim Nishbal Tainus Atzmai. Sometimes a person's going to make a shvua even based off of his own taina. Ketzad, what's this case? So a fellow goes to a yasaim, a yoresh, and he says, your father has a mana by me, meaning I owed your father a mana, but I already paid him back half of it. So I raise a nishba, he would have to swear regarding the other half. And there's a person making a shvua based off his own taina. However, the chamim say, he's just like a mesha veda. It's like he's returning a lost object and he's potter for making a shvua. He's coming on his own to admit that he owes money to this yoresh's father. So that's like a fellow coming on his own to return a lost object, so he wouldn't have to make a shvua by the mikdash. The Gemara now asks Rabbi Yisroel Yaakov, "Lastly, Meisha Veda Potter." Rabbi Yisroel Yaakov doesn't hold that if a person's returning a lost object, he's Potter for making a shvua. Amrav, so Rav answers, "But Tainai Katan." We're talking about this Yairesh who's a Katan telling this fellow, "You owe my father money." Ask the Gemara, "Katan midi Mishasha Isbe." If a Katan makes such a Taina, does it have any value to it? We don't listen to him. But then we have a Mishnah that says, "Einish Bainal Tainis Cherishait Vekatan." That a person doesn't have to make a shvua if a Cherishait or Katan make a Taina of him. So we explain, no, my Katan. What does that mean? He's a katan. Gadol. Really, he's a gadol. But my car like katan. So why are we calling him a katan? Because in regards to his father's affairs, he's considered a katan. He doesn't know about all the ins and outs of his father's business dealings. So he doesn't really know if his father's owed this whole money or maybe only 50 of it. And that's why he's considered a katan. Ask the Gemara, if that's so, why is Rabbi Yasser saying that sometimes a person is going to swear based off of his own taina? This is not his own taina. This is somebody else making the taina of him. So Gemara says, you're right. Taina Really, it means that this other person made the taina of him, and he admitted on his own to 50% of it. So Gemara asks, if that's so, cool taina tsunami. All tainas are like this. Every single shvua might mix us is somebody else making the taina and him admitting to part of it. So what does Yasser Yaakov mean when he said that sometimes a person is going to make a shvua all tainas atzmai? Seemingly, this is a case which is a chiddush. So Gemara answers Ella bedu Rabba Kamiflgi. Rabbi Yasser Yaakov and the Chamim are arguing in what Rabba said. Dama Rabba Rabba explained. Why is it that the Torah says that if a person is moida to part of a taina, he would have to make a shvua? That's because chazaka ain't other meiz part of bnei A person is not going to be meiz; he's not going to be brazen right in front of the person he borrowed money from and tell him, "I don't owe you any money." And really, he would want to deny the entire sum. And the reason why he's not denying the entire thing is mishum ain't other meiz part of bnei It's because he's not going to be so brazen to deny the entire thing directly in front of the person whom he owes the money to. Well, if that's so, then ubekule by delay delay, really then he should admit to the entire thing. If he's not going to be brazen to deny the whole thing, so he should admit to the whole thing. The reason why he's not admitting to the whole thing and he's only admitting to part of it is because he's trying to slip away from him. So 
Davar, he figures to himself, until I get money, then I'll pay him. In other words, the reason why this person is being made to is not because he's trying to steal money or he's trying to get out of paying part of his debt. Really, he's going to pay the whole thing. It's just he doesn't have all the money right now. So he says, I'll admit to part of it because that's the money that I have right now. And when I get the rest of the money, then I'll say, oh, by the way, I really do owe you the rest of the money. So therefore, to prevent the situation, the Torah says, we have to place a shivu on him so that he admits to the entire thing. Now that's Rabbi's explanation of Yishava. Now Rabbi Yazim Yaakov Sava, Rabbi Yazim Yaakov holds It doesn't make a difference if the one making the claim is the fellow himself who's owed the money or his son. is the fellow who owes the money, is not going to be brazen enough to deny the whole thing. Therefore, when he admits to part of it, he's not considered a Meshaveda. It's not like he's doing something nice on his own and bringing back a lost object. Since anyway, he's not going to be such a Mechutzef to deny the whole loan, even if this fellow's son claims the money for his father, the one who owes the money is not going to deny the entire thing. So that's why he would have to make a Shavuah Madu Mikzas. And now just explaining what Abliyaz bin Yaakov had said before, that sometimes a person is going to make a Shavuah al Tainis Atzmai. So now we can understand what Tainis Atzmai is. Really, it's referring to this Yerush who's a Katan telling him, hey, you owe my father this amount of money. And when he admits, I only owe part of it because I paid the rest of it back, that's considered like he's admitting on his own because a Katan doesn't have the ability to make such a Taina. But even so, that it's somewhat considered like he's admitting it on his own, again, according to Abliyaz bin Yaakov, he's not going to be Meyes to deny the entire thing even to this Yarish who's a katan. The one who we're dealing with the fellow who's owed the money himself, the one who owes the money is not going to be so brazen to deny it right in front of him. When we're dealing with his son, May is, so he will be brazen to deny it because he figures to himself that the son doesn't really know if his father's owed all this money. And by the fact that he wasn't brazen to deny the whole thing and he admitted to some of it, he's just considered like a Meshavedah, like he's returning a lost object and therefore he would not have to make a Shvua. And this is why Rabbi Yitzhak on the bottom of Abun Aleph requires a shvua, even in the case of a lost object. Because when Shimon returns one purse and Ruven claims, but you found two purses that were tied together, that's a bari claim, that's a definite claim, and this is not considered like a meshavedah anymore. This is just considered like a classic monetary claim, which Rabbi Yitzhak holds like Rabbi Yitzhak, Yaakov, is not considered meshavedah, and a shvua would be required. We're going to stop here for the day and pick up tomorrow with a brand new Mishnah. For now, everyone should have a wonderful day.